0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, Sona and I will be be reviewing the new Peacock series based on a true story. And at the top of the conversation, we will be completely spoiler-free when we give you our general opinions, but then we will spoil the series. So if you have watched it, stay tuned for that conversation. If you don't plan to watch it and you want to hear additional thoughts, well, then obviously listen to the entire conversation. It's quite a mixed bag, although I don't quite recommend it. Speaking of mixed bags, before we get into that conversation, I did want to somewhat defend the new HBO series, The Idol, which of course is quite a conversation piece right now. And before I get into my thoughts on the show, I don't want to say the show is good or that it will become good, but considering how it has been completely trashed by the vast majority of critics, who by the way, have only seen the same two episodes that we've all seen now at this point. And I want to be clear that I'm not saying it's good, but it is interesting in some ways. And I do think it is worth discussing. There's only six episodes. So if you are hesitant to jump into it, I would say that wait for final opinions once the whole show has been seen. But if you are like me and are watching it week to week, I do think it's a mixed bag, but interesting. And it does things that other shows aren't even trying to do. If you just want to jump to the conversation around Based on a True Story, check the show notes and jump to that point in the conversation. Also, before you dip your toes into this series, just to be clear that it is extremely sexually frank, in my opinion, to its detriment, it is trying to push boundaries rather than investigating some of the issues it raises. And not only is the language and some of the visuals pretty sexually graphic, there's a surprising amount of sexual violence in the show as well. So (laughs) buyer beware. It is, however, so heightened that I think it is probably not going to turn that many people off. And what I basically say is this is the same director, showrunner, as Euphoria. If you enjoy Euphoria, or you at least can tolerate it and are titillated by that show, then this show has the same level of sexual frankness. So if this is you trying to segue from Succession to the next HBO Prestige series, you're probably going to be scratching your head, (laughs) as many of the critics have been. Or just turned off completely. But if you're a fan of Euphoria and you're looking for your next Euphoria, this may be it. This may not be it, by the way, but I think you at least would want to dip your toe in and experiment. Later in this week, by the way, we'll be covering the sixth, the most recent season of Black Mirror, which is coming to Netflix this week on Thursday. (coughs) And we continue to cover the Apple TV Plus science fiction series, Silo, which is coming to the end of its first season as well. Stay tuned for those episodes. The American dream. Rags to riches. Trailers to mansions. You are fucking jostling. Just be you. Easy. I'll just do that. Right okay, so there's quite a backstory to this show. Production began almost two years ago, and apparently The weekend, the very famous R&B singer, who really has transformed the sound of R&B for the past decade or so into a much darker and druggier milieu, had an idea basically saying that he could start a cult if he wanted to, and sketched out the idea for a series and brought it to Sam Levinson. This show went into production, as I mentioned, about two years ago. And was directed at the time by Amy Simitz, a very talented actress and director, who's made two very challenging thrillers. Uh, One probably borders more on horror, or actually both of them probably do. Relatively low budget films previous to this, but is more famous as an actress. She appeared in season one of Sweet Tooth, the very popular Netflix series. Was one of the stars of the Pet Cemetery remake back from 2019. Was one of the leads in No Sudden Move. The Steven Soderbergh film from last year, and has appeared on Stranger Things and other shows as well, but has been a director primarily for the past few years, directing multiple episodes of Atlanta and being one of the primary directors of The Girlfriend Experience produced by Steven Soderbergh. And also Outer Range, by the way, if you saw that series, she directed some of those episodes. And of course, her feature films, as I mentioned, Sun Don't Shine, a pretty brutal thriller with these two criminals on the run, a couple an interesting psychological horror film. And speaking of that, uh, a very divisive film she made about two years ago called She Dies Tomorrow, in which people become convinced that they're going to die the next day, completely irrationally. It's just a dread that takes over them. And it becomes a virus that spreads verbally. One person says it to the other, it starts to spread among this friend group, and then even more widely. The film was released during the pandemic, which was a very difficult time to watch a film like that. I found it really fascinating. I think people really reacted negatively to that film, thinking that it was so grim in its tone. I actually found it to be bizarrely comedic. It was so dour that I think it was intentionally supposed to become a black comedy. And that's how I appreciated it, although many people did not. By the way, Chris Messina does appear in that as well. And we're going to be discussing him later in this episode, in based on a true story. And by the way, in that film. One of the best performances in She Dies Tomorrow is Jane Addams, who's friends with Amy Simitz. And of course, she does carry over into the show we're discussing today, The Idol, as well. So this sounds like an intriguing package. You have The weekend transitioning to film work for the first time. He did have a small role in Uncut Gems, playing himself, but this would be his first starring role, and in a prestigious HBO series, no less. Simitz directs the first four episodes, and then was off to shoot... A TV series, so could not shoot the final two episodes of the six six episode series. So we had this interesting premise for a show. We have Sam Levinson producing and helping write the scripts, along with Reza Fahim, who is the weekend's longtime creative partner and also used to run a club, which of course, if you've seen the show, you know that that ties into the premise of the series as well. And Amy Simon's coming off of this disturbing psychological thriller with a very neo-noir visual style seems to be a very good fit. If you've seen The weekend's videos, for example, he does love to crimp from David Lynch, Michael Mann, and Nicholas Winding Reffin, all folks who have defined this neo-noir style. So everything seems to be well in place. They shoot the first four episodes, Amy Simons moves on to another show, and then things fall apart. They look at the four episodes, it's unclear exactly what happened, but Simons' vision of the show either didn't gel or was rejected by The Weeknd and other folks behind the scenes. All of this strife is outlined in an article published by Rolling Stone earlier this year saying that the show had been turned into torture porn. And it's it's vague as to exactly how Simitz exited the show. But some of the things we discover is that at one point, they wanted to bring Ty West, who recently directed X and Pearl, those horror films that got very good reviews last year, to basically direct the final two episodes of the series and to correct what they felt was maybe lacking earlier on. And eventually, Levinson goes to HBO and gets them to reshoot almost the entirety of the show. He rewrites the scripts, some of what Simon's shot is used in the series. I'd love to see what that is, by the way, because I feel like this show is so schizophrenic from scene to scene. Characters seem to be giving completely different performances depending on at which point you encounter them. So this show, which cost over $50 million, some people say $75 million, was nearly completely reshot, putting the total budget for the series well over $100 million. HBO agrees to have Levinson come in, rewrite the scripts, reshoot most of the show, including the entirety of the pilot, and now we have whatever this is, <laughs> this Frankenstein baby that we ended up with here. Now, once again, maybe we'll learn more over time, but there supposedly was some friction between Simitz and The weekend people saying that he wanted to be more central to the plot and that he felt that Lily Rose Depp had become too much of the focus of this series. But then contradicting that, I've heard through some of this journalism that the script always was focused on her and he was always a secondary character. And then we've ended up with whatever we've ended up with here. Okay. So episode one, we kick off and we see the camera is tight on Lily Rose Depp's face. She's playing Jocelyn, a Britney Spears-like performer who's just had a nervous breakdown, we discover over the course of the season. It's because her mother has recently died and she was very dependent on her mother, maybe even codependent. And she is unable to function without her. Most of this isn't clear until episode two, but I'll lay it out now because it doesn't really spoil anything. She apparently was about to go live with another album and another tour right after her mother's passing, had told everybody to not cancel the shows, not cancel the album. She's ready to go. They've invested a lot of money pausing the tours, the videos, everything else. And now she's apparently on the verge of another nervous breakdown and she's losing her supporters left and right because if they can't commodify her, then she's not that valuable to them. But of course, she's created the situation herself by not taking time off. So although this is not in the text of the show, this is very interesting. In episode two, we get to see her trying to make this video happen. She's completely manic, by the way, running back and forth from the stage to seeing if the shot looked okay, and then going back and forth and back and forth, completely abusing her body. And it does make you think about Britney Spears when she had that breakdown and how publicly she was derided for trying to make everybody happy at the same time. I I am intrigued by this aspect of the show and yet it has these issues. Going back to the opening sequence, we see Lizzie Rose Depp's face. She has to give all these different expressions, give all these different performances. I understand what the show is trying to do there, and Depp I think is good, very good in this show and very brave to be so naked. I mean, almost completely naked all the time. So she gives a very brave performance. And yet I don't think she can pull off this opening sequence. And it's a lot to put on her there. So maybe not the best choice to put so much on her early on. And then that opening sequence just gets worse and worse. There is an attempt to go for comedy. There's an attempt to go for this kind of heightened satire of Hollywood culture. And oof, it just is so rough. I almost abandoned ship immediately. I just couldn't tolerate it. And then the show leans into what Levinson is often so good at in Euphoria, for example. It's almost like once the dialogue stops, the show gets interesting. The girls go out to celebrate that night, just to kind of blow off steam. And there's this moment of reverie when they're in the car listening to music. And we've seen this in Euphoria too. Levinson, when he is one of the best stylist on TV right now. Hands down, technically so incredibly proficient. And honestly, I don't even know if this isn't coming from Simmets by the way, because this second episode of the show is called Double Fantasy. If you want to track it down, there is a weekend video called Double Fantasy, which is for this show itself, directed by Amy Simitz. And there are these beautiful, dreamy, slow pans in on Jocelyn's character, Lily Rose Depp's playing with Jocelyn on like these open fields, the camera zooming in on her slowly and really do wonder what Simon's version of the show would have been, even if it wasn't fully successful. It's so focused on Jocelyn in that video and her perspective of the world and her feeling of alienation, but then also the escapism of being in the club, for example. It really captures in a lot of ways everything that works well in the series but there's so much that doesn't work well. It literally is from scene to scene where I pivot into liking the show. That opening sequence, absolutely embarrassing. The dialogue around the intimacy coordinator being locked up in the bathroom, feels like Levinson is just writing down in the script to blow off steam. He's done this before, by the way, in some of his scripts, just basically directly reacting to his critics. When you have a show that is so sexually frank, like Euphoria and like this one, and then raging against having to have an intimacy coordinator to protect the actors, (laughs) really seems antiquated and retrograde to say the least, especially in this show, by the way. But then we get to that dreamy centerpiece. We have a really interesting scene where the weekend playing Tedros, who runs the club, meets... Jocelyn, and starts to worm his way into her affections and into her mind and into her life. But in that first conversation, she talks about how she doesn't want to just be another pop star. And he goes, what's wrong with pop music? How about Prince? You can be very subversive in pop music. Says The Weeknd, by the way, who had a number one hit song about doing so much coke, his face is numb. So this does feel like it's coming from Abel, The Weeknd himself, All these things are interesting, this exploration of the way we abuse these pop stars, the way that they are selling us fantasy and then imprisoned in their own lives, escaping through sex and drugs, and basically surrounded by facilitators and scavengers. She only seems to have one true friendship, and that's with Leah, who does honestly love her, but also is her employee simultaneously. So, of course, still on the dole as far as the pop star gravy train goes. All of this is very interesting, granted. Okay, what doesn't work is this toying with sexual violence. I, I actually don't mind the sexual frankness. There is probably a scene that will turn off many people in episode two, where Jocelyn performs a striptease and, and more for Tedros. I actually thought that this was an interesting sequence i find that being sexually frank is rare in films and tv nowadays and levinson is pretty proud of having pushed the envelope with euphoria and now this shows well and embedded in that sequence itself is that most of sex is actual fantasy so the fantasy is more important to the sexual act than the sex act itself What I don't like is that it does start to feel straight up exploitative, commenting on something and then somehow still exploiting the performer makes it all kind of icky. And then Levinson really feels, and and I'm bringing in a lot of baggage here from watching Euphoria as well, really seems to pat himself on the back for putting it all out there, but it's still exploitative. (laughs) And that's basically what it comes down to. The commentary is intriguing the frankness is refreshing in its own strange way, the boundary pushing is effective, and it does make you question the way you interact with this type of entertainment, but it doesn't mean it's not exploitative at the same time. And that's my grand takeaway. Remains to be seen whether this can actually still redeem itself. At this point, I can't enthusiastically support this, and it's not as good as, for example, Euphoria, which I do recommend, but with many, many, many caveats, obviously. This is less successful than that, but maybe in the end, and we really need to see more of the season to know, it may have more on its mind than just exploitation. So that's my defense of the show. I feel like the critical reaction has been only to talk about the negative and to ignore some of the challenging material, which is intentionally challenging challenging as purely exploitative, where I say It is a combination of both. And just to be clear, I openly say it's not as successful as Euphoria, but it is a similar recipe to the ingredients that are in Euphoria. And the critics in general are pretty high on that show. Uh, I think too high on that show. And I do feel like this is kind of like a correction attacking this show as a corrective to their over-enthusiastic reaction to Euphoria. Well, let's judge them on their own, shall we? Euphoria is not as good as everybody says it is. And this show may not be as bad, <laughs> although can I please retract all of this if it turns out to go right into the garbage dump in the next couple of episodes? Which, by the way, it absolutely may. But up until now, I have found it intriguing, and I'll take something that is not fully successful and trying for something over something that is completely forgettable. Which oftentimes, you know, there's so many series that have just come out just in the past couple of months that I watch them and I have completely forgotten that I've even watched them. This show it's going to be something you're going to talk about. It's going to be something you'll remember watching, even if it's terrible in the end. And that's my somewhat positive review of the first two episodes of The Idol. Okay, let's get into the conversation Sona and I had about Based on a True Story. This show comes from some of the creators of The Boys, speaking of transgressive TV series, and it stars Kaylee Cuoco and Chris Messina. And it's about a couple who have some financial issues. Start a podcast and get dragged into a local serial killer's murder spree in ways that I won't spoil here. It's available on Peacock and it's a very short commitment of your time. So check it out if that sounds intriguing. Now,
1: who's ready to talk
0: murder? Do we have to wake up to murders every morning?
1: They're talking about the serial killer that's like basically in our backyard. It is so exciting.
0: LA, it's brutal. Especially when you're pushing fifty, bartenders into you. I could be bartender's dad.
1: Did anyone catch my favorite murder? Uh, th- 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 no spoilers. No
0: hey, problem. what do you even know about this guy? Should I use protection, or should he just pull out? You know, if I end up on Dateline, I can leave a massive DNA trail for you, true crime weirdos.
1: Can't pay any of our bills, and you just lost your job. We have a baby on the way, so tell me, how are we going to get by? <laughs> She is the victim of the West Side Ripper. It's him. I know my killers. But if we make a podcast about this together, we could bring them in on it. Bring the
0: killer in on what?
1: The podcast. We force them to do it. Oh my God, this is going to change our lives.
0: Sona, i we haven't talked in a couple of weeks or we haven't published anything in a couple of weeks. We have spoken in a couple of weeks. Right. And the thing we were discussing, we like uh, apparently <laughs> our niche has become dysfunctional marriages.
1: <laughs> Midlife crises in all its forms. <laughs> and generally, yes,
0: exactly. Usually related to, but usually within the context of a marriage.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, there's so much material to work with.
0: I, I don't think you even saw this, but the Hulu show, was it Tiny Beautiful Things, I think it was called?
1: Yeah, I had heard of it and I think I wanted to check it out, but then I just never did.
0: Which I did and it's excellent. So you should catch up on it. Maybe now that there's not that much to watch, a mm. chance to catch up on that. But very funny and um also dealing with uh troubles in a marriage and midlife crises in general. And of course, you've been watching Platonic, which uh, I love. By the way, I finally- Love caught it. Up with it.
1: Oh my gosh. I love this show so much.
0: I had recommended it to you initially on this podcast. And then I had only seen... like the, There was three episodes available. I think I only watched two. And then there was just so much other stuff to watch and never went back to it. And then you told me you were loving it. So- I caught up with it this week all the way through, and usually with comedies, if I watch three or four of them in a row, like when I tried to binge the back half of Only Murders in the Building, which by the way is coming back as well, we might cover it in some form here, but when I tried to binge all of that, I really didn't enjoy it the way I had enjoyed season one, and maybe I think it was somewhat the quality of season two, but also I think you know, you watch too much of something, it gets too samey, you kind of know the jokes are coming, especially with a comedy. Like if I try to binge a sitcom, it really doesn't work. Anyway, all that is to say that I binged all of Platonic and didn't decide to pause halfway through because I just loved spending time with these characters. and so I laughed And laughed.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I
0: laughed so much at their shenanigans. <laughs> loved every minute of it. Uh, I'm right there with you. Especially because I think I caught up through episode five, which I think is the most recent one. And episode mm-hmm. five was such a great... Episode, ah, oh, so fun. I'm so critical of Ted Lasso's free final season of having absolutely no shape. Characters put themselves in the circumstance. The next episode, they throw it out the window. And what I think was so impressive about this episode five, not only that it continues to be incredibly funny, it could just run almost like a sitcom. In you know, with a lot of improv, you can tell these actors are improving a lot of their dialogue it really starts to thematically starts to tie things together. There's like a structure and a shape to this whole thing. So I was even more impressed for, you know, what what was already a very, very entertaining experience.
1: Yeah, I really love it. I think it's great.
0: I didn't even make the connection, of course, when I recommended it to you that it was so secondary in that first episode, which is all I had seen at that time. That she's a lawyer, of course, her husband's a lawyer also, but that she's kind of dealing with lawyer, I guess, issues pertaining to being a woman in law, for example, and having to make that decision of what starting a family or not, and then comparing yourselves to women who have achieved more than you have. And when that kind of starts to become a theme later in 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 the run, I was like, "Oh, this must really be resonating with Sona."
1: I will tell anyone who even tangentially brings up the subject: this whole working mom thing is a scam. So, (laughs) and I've said it many times before: you can do anything, you can't do everything, and that's true for everybody, not just middle aged women. But I think middle aged women maybe feel it most acutely in our American society.
0: I am waiting for a series, maybe another string of series to come in the future where we deal with middle-aged men.
1: (laughs) There is that show Men of a Certain Age, which I think was supposed to be very good with Ray Romano and Andre Brower.
0: I think I tried to watch a few episodes of that when it was on, which is quite some time ago, maybe 10 years ago at this point, maybe.
1: Before it resonated, perhaps.
0: Probably would resonate a lot more with me now.
1: So much of it is the stage of life you're in when you consume certain media and I remember this very distinctly happening with The Affair, which you know I love from Showtime. And some people really hated that show. And I thought, like, this is a very easy show to hate if you're under 30. Like, you have a strong sense often of what you think life is and should be and what's right and what's wrong, that when you're 40, you're like, I don't know a damn thing.
0: I think it's not only an age thing, which I think definitely matters. I also think there is a cultural aspect to it also, right? There are certain people who will watch erotic thrillers, for example, And uh, it's interesting, I've been listening to You Must Remember This, uh, which I've recommended to you in the past. It's this podcast by Karina Longworth. It goes into great detail into a specific genre of of film, for example. And she had earlier in the year, erotic 80s, which was all the thrillers from the 80s, including Mm -hmm. so many in the 80s. And now she's doing the 90s. And she just got up to Indecent Proposal, which was like her. Uh, This is like the culminating episode for her. There's more ones beyond that. But her grand thesis about the genre is all tied into that film. And she t- brings up the fact that, of course, it's titillating, but then at its core, whether the filmmaker's intended or not, it always has to end with a conservative message that, of course, in the end, they always choose the married life. And for example, in A Decent Proposal, Huge digression here, <laughs> but in A Decent Proposal, you know, there's the whole idea that she has this fantasy where she wants to be with this rich guy. But then, of course, in the end, like true love wills out. Uh, and speaking of uh, the Roses of middle-aged men, Woody Howson's character is someone who is dependent on his wife, is being like one-upped by this rich Robert Redford character. This idea of like, well, what is his role in life, right? He's supposed to be the provider, but he can't do that. He is aspiring to be an artist, but or an architect, but that's not really panning out for him either. He's really dependent on this woman. She loves him for who he is, but he feels kind of useless. And then, of course, unwittingly, almost like pimping out his wife because he they really need the money, right? So, even though, of course, this is a fantasy for her, also. So there's that whole aspect to it. But in the end, he she chooses him, right? Spoiler alert for a thirty something year old movie, <laughs> but um. You know what? I thought this was a huge digression, but you know what? (laughs) It actually ties in to the show we're going to talk about right now. (laughs) (laughs) So let's use a decent proposal as a segue into the conversation we're having today, which is based on a true story that Kaylee Cuoco and Chris Messina, who play a married couple. Similarly to this frustrated middle-aged male malaise, we have Chris Messina, importantly, is a failed tennis star. So he actually has this video he watches over and over again on YouTube where he beat Roger Federer. So he had this moment where he could have been somebody great. And I'm sure that's back when he was courting his wife, he was going to be this big shot. He gets injured. He no longer plays tennis. He coaches tennis. And then interestingly, at the beginning of the series, he gets demoted <laughs> to like the peewee league because there's a younger guy who's come up, who, you know, all the girls lust over. And more importantly, not only do they want to hang out with the 24-year-old tennis coach, but he has them drink cocktails while they play tennis. So basically, it's just an excuse to drink in the afternoon. <laughs> right. So this is his you know, middle-age malaise. He feels like he's throwing away his life and losing out to this hack who is just flirting with women and getting them drunk and basically undercutting him. And meanwhile, his wife is struggling also. She's pregnant. They're expecting their first child. Of course, that adds a lot of financial insecurity to... And she's struggling to sell real estate in this high-end marketplace and then a plumber comes into their lives (laughs) played by tom (laughs) they strike up this friendship oh and of course there's a serial killer coincidentally somewhat although it ties into the plot obviously there's a serial killer who's killing these young women in their area hayley cuoco there's a commentary on middle-aged women, and maybe we should talk about this, middle-aged women who vicariously live through following these murder cases, which is actually true. And maybe- a little it's a disturbing thing. Trend. A huge, huge thing. She's a huge podcast fan. Podcasts are always, I mean, it seems to be the podcasters are the bad guys in like all these shows recently for some reason.
1: And she's pregnant in real life, right? Because- Yes, good point. They yes. really show her pregnant body quite a bit, first of all, but also, you know, at one point, and I knew on some level that she was pregnant in real life. And then at one point towards the end, I was kind of like, did we need the pregnancy in this storyline? And then I was kind of like, oh, right, she's really pregnant. That's why. (laughs) So, you know, I think it would have worked fine without her being pregnant. But
0: I would say that the pregnancy, obviously, she took this role because she was allowed to be pregnant on it. It was just something I read up on after. I think that it does tie in a little bit there because this is an added stress. Obviously, you lose your job and you have a kid on the way, right?
1: I agree. Yeah. But given some of the other things they were doing in the show with partying in Vegas and other <laughs> yes, stuff, yes. it just seemed like it would have been a lot easier for them had she not been pregnant when I forgot that it was a real pregnancy. Like, why add that complication to the scenes with the drugs and the drinking and the sex? And, you know,
0: I mean, especially since most of those scenes end up to be fantasy sequences, which they, in a way, she didn't even need to take the drugs or she could have taken them only within the fantasy sequences. But <laughs> we'll get into that when we get to some spoilers here in the show. This plumber turns up, strikes up a friendship with Chris Messina. He really works on his ego, right? He really starts to feel like he looks up to him. He knows who he was as a tennis star. And this bromance starts to embolden Messina a little bit. There's these murders going on. It's definitely hinted at the fact that Nathan, uh, Chris Messina's character, may be the killer, by the way. And then we have this murder, by the way, who uh, and a uh, pretty big get to have here as the murder victim. She does come back multiple times, but she's on Stranger Things actually. So it's kind of surprising when she got killed in the very first scene of the show. Anyway, so before we get into any kind of spoilers in the show, what did you think of the show in general?
1: I really enjoyed this show. I watched it over the course of two days. I think it was very fun for me, not knowing anything going into it. It went in an unexpected direction that I thought was very like zany. I think practically speaking, there are a thousand problems with the plot line um, and a thousand holes in the plot, but I was willing (laughs) to overlook it because I was enjoying it so much. So I would recommend it to someone who's, you know, just looking for something fun to watch in the summer that they don't have to think too hard about. You know, I think there was a lot to like about it, even though there are some flaws.
0: And I think you have the general consensus, by the way, Sona. I was a little surprised, to be honest, after I watched the show, that the critical reaction has been solid, not great, but decent, definitely mildly positive. But the critical, I mean, but uh, the audience reaction has been pretty solid as well. And I was a little surprised because what I would say is this is a big frustration for me recently. The season does not give me closure. I I find that very frustrating. You can't just leave everything on a cliffhanger. So I'm putting that out there. Only for people like me who find that frustrating, the show does basically end on a cliffhanger. So if you don't like that, it's going to be a frustration for you. But that's not my only ding against the show. I had issues with the way that it plays with fantasy so often. I know Kaylee Cuoco, um, the flight attendant, by the way, plays with this as well, but that was- Mm, In a much different way though. Right. It was conceptually part of the show. Here we- Slip into fantasy sequences from almost everybody's perspective, all the characters, including the, in the dog, show, <laughs> including the dog. Yes, exactly. It becomes like a joke. I mean, there's a corpse that has a flashback sequence, right? <laughs> or fantasy sequence, I should say. So it becomes a running gag.
1: You know, you start going like, oh, is this really happening? And that's exactly,
0: annoying. yes, yes. I, that's exactly how I felt because of all the fantasy. I felt two things. One was I Kept guessing, second guessing everything I was watching was like, is this someone writing a story? Mm-hmm. Or is this like, are we supposed to believe any of this is true at all? Uh, and, you know, once again, just for people who haven't seen it, you are supposed to believe that, you know, it's not all going to be that there's no big twist at the end, that it's all just fake.
1: But I was concerned about that for yes, a few minutes yes, because of the fantasy thing was so heavy handed that I wondered yes. at the end yep. if we were going to find out the whole thing was in somebody's head.
0: Right, and my second frustration, by the way, is those fantasy scenarios that spin out in those different characters' minds. They all, not all, I should say, but many of those fantasy sequences were more satisfying to me from a plot point perspective than the show I was getting. So I kind of like, oh man, I wish that, <laughs> I wish that was what was happening.
1: <laughs> okay, I didn't feel that way. That okay. <laughs> maybe the dog one <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe that final so, one with the corpse was pretty good
0: yes i that that would have been a fun twist i'd say by, yeah. by the way which i kind of hoped <laughs> more mm-hmm. than getting the the non ending ending that would have been better so i don't really recommend it but i would say that if you really like the true crime genre and you like to see this explored it, you might your mileage may vary you might enjoy this more it was watchable i I watched it all the way through it's very quick binge i mean some of the episodes were barely over not even 25 minutes long so Mm -hmm. it, it was pretty the first episode's long it's like basically 45 minutes so it's almost like two episodes because the rest of them run 20 and change i think one of them's 19 minutes long it's pretty short it's all available at once so that makes it satisfying i just felt like i much prefer when you wrap up a story and then leave an open clue like for example the killer's still out there or is blackmailing them in some way that would be intriguing so maybe i see a second season rather than just like cliffhanger no episodes for two years or whenever this thing comes back if it ever comes back because peacock's gonna go bankrupt
1: (laughs) that's the thing is i was very surprised for this type of show to not make it the type of ending that like maybe this show never comes back maybe it does but this is a fine ending either way I was surprised that there was such an open ending. You know, In addition, this whole plot is ill-conceived from the start as far (laughs) as like what was your end game going to be? It would only end with people being dead. There's no way around it.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly.
1: Like it's a fun premise to explore, but practically speaking, if you want to stay alive, you should not be making these decisions.
0: All right, we're going to go into full spoilers. Once again, Sona's pretty... Happy with the show with those caveats that it does have that kind of open ended finale. For me, that rubbed me the wrong way. Some of the fantasy or the over reliance on these fantasy sequences was a little too much for me, kind of rubbed me the wrong way as well. Uh, So I did watch it all the way through, borderline thumbs down for me, especially because of the finale. And I think Sona's kind of on the other side, a little more positive.
1: Yeah, for sure. And one more innocuous thing I will say before spoilers. One thing I really loved about this also was the real estate porn, like just looking <laughs> yes, at yes. the houses was so much fun. Looking at the Southern California setting also was really fun. The yes, ocean yes. and the beach and all of it, Um, just aesthetically very pleasing. They're dying to get out of this house that I would die to live in. Like It's a gorgeous right. house, so charming with arched hallways and so many details. I mean every time they showed that house I'd be like, I would take that house in a second. It's gorgeous. I just think visually this is very nicely put together.
0: We're fully gonna go into spoilers now. You're touching on something that rubbed me the wrong way in some to some extent as well. I think the point they're making intentionally by the way, this is not accidental. They're pretty well off, right? Like you know, he gets But not
1: compared to their friends.
0: Exactly. I think this probably resonates a lot more for people who probably live on the West Coast or especially live in this area. I think that have a lot more resonance. Although generally, of course, we all have that kind of keeping up with the Joneses tension in our lives, especially in middle life. So I think that does resonate generally, but I think it's so specific in some of its concerns. It really does feel like very much a California show. That's specifically. fair. Specifically. Uh, oh, and like, let me just get a little more into the The um, plot now that we're in spoilers. It turns out that the plumber is the killer. This comes very early in the show. And as a matter of fact, I think until episode three, I was like, is he just playing along? Maybe he just wants to get in on the podcast. Maybe he's like a failed actor. So he's playing along to make some money. And for a while there, I thought that he might not even be legitimately the killer. But even that, they pretty much erase that from your mind by like episode three or so. So it's still very early. They could have teased it out longer and I would have appreciated that more. And then once all the cards are on the table, I mean, for me, they become such despicable people. And I can't come back from that, especially when the show wants us to feel romantic feeling feelings towards them and then sympathy for them after they turn the corner and are fully you know, facilitating, aiding, the betting a serial killer.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is a very ill-conceived idea, right? <laughs> yes, um, yes. As I said, like, what is the end game? Like, even if you're, you know, going, working off, like, you know, feeding his ego and he's going to do this for you, like- right then what? What happens when the, I mean, he has a solution for when the podcast is done that it's never going to finish because he's going to create new content. <laughs> but, um, you know, assuming that you are a normal human with normal morals, where do you think this is going to end? Once you know who this serial killer is, you have the power to expose him whenever you choose. I mean, isn't he going to have to kill you at some point?
0: Right, exactly.
1: I'll go with it, right? Like it's a zany premise. It makes for a fun plot and a fun show. And I'm willing to suspend my disbelief, but this is pretty crazy pants.
0: Yeah. And I could fix this show, by the way, pretty easily, which is part of my frustration. Once again, this is probably unique to me, but oftentimes, even with good shows and films, I'm always trying to say, well, how would I fix this? And instead of just appreciating what's there, usually it's because I start to, my mind starts to wander while I'm watching these shows (laughs) if I'm not really, really engaged, right? So part of it is on the creators themselves. But I feel a little frustration because I think you could easily fix this show and resolve the issues I have by, for example, you could have the exact same pilot episode and then they start a podcast or even get goaded into starting a podcast by the plumber who encourages them to do it, knowing full well, of course, that he is the murderer. And then he could frame them for a murder. And then he blackmails them into continuing the podcast. Now they have to be friends with him, but simultaneously they're trying to figure out like how do we get out of this situation while still getting all the stuff you get out of that show in the same way without this kind of moral complicity that they have. Unless that's the point of the showrunners. But like I said, they oftentimes make us have to like feel bad that, for example... Kaylee Cuoco's best friend ends up getting murdered. Once again, we're in spoilers here. She's supposed to feel some guilt about that, or we're supposed to feel some sympathy for her. It's like they could have prevented all this.
1: That framing does happen by the end, in a way. Right. Right. With the with the best friend.
0: Absolutely correct. He uses that in that way. I mean, but the sequence of already... events
1: is different. Yeah.
0: <laughs> correct. And, and I mean, it's not just that the you know, the sequence of events matters, which I think does absolutely matter. But it also matters from the fact of like their moral decision making, right? Like if mm-hmm. they are um yeah. pressured into playing along, and it seems to be setting that up, by the way. They have Chris Messina looking psychopathic multiple times. So you can imagine that he starts acting erratically and then he gets framed and then they start saying, Oh my God, remember you had like that fight with that woman, or you tried to hook up with that girl at the bar and then she ended up dead the next day. All these things could tie in, and it's right there. It's right in plain sight. It's mm-hmm. almost like they had that as potential. Plots, and then they decided to go in this direction. And like I said, it makes them so complicit from day one. It makes them, I mean, to me, it makes them not sympathetic characters. I guess the way they get around that is by making all their friends absolutely (laughs) despicable people. So those are the people who, you know, so far seem to be targets of, you know, the subsequent murders, I would assume. And they've just made them so cartoonish that we're supposed to be okay with them being killed off. But I'm still not okay with it. I don't care how despicable those people are. (laughs) <laughs> Which is actually
1: um, very reminiscent of the most recent season of You, actually.
0: Yes, I've heard that, that this is very much like you. Yeah. yeah, And you know what? Maybe that's where I'm not on the right wavelength. I've heard this described as you and only birders in the building mixed together. I could
1: definitely see that.
0: Since I didn't see this season of You, I guess maybe it is exactly what you're describing where you know we get to... Hang out with these people who turn out to be dis- despicable. So when they get disposed of, it's okay, because it's just for the purposes of the plot. Even that, they needed to make these people really villainous earlier on. Mm-hmm. Because, for example, the fact that her best friend who ends up dying here is like whatever, like a sexual libertine or whatever, that doesn't make her a bad person. <laughs> like, what did, okay. what did she do that was so bad? You know, so It's true. And also, if it had been funnier, I think I would have been more likely to give it a thumbs up. But I didn't laugh that much.
1: I definitely did laugh like more than I would laugh at you (laughs) but not as much as Only Murders in the Building
0: (laughs) yes yes good point
1: I mean I'm curious as to whether it is going to come back for another season because if it doesn't the ending is extremely disappointing because it (laughs) does feel like oh okay so you just didn't figure out how this was supposed to tie up (laughs) exactly my husband watched about half of this with me and he watched the last two episodes and we both were kind of like there's 10 minutes left. What is going to happen in the next 10 minutes that's going to make this make sense Is the last episode? Like I said, there are a lot of plot holes hit here. A lot of things don't make sense, but that seems like really almost unforgivable to leave it as open ended as they did in that last couple scenes.
0: What I would say to all of that is it really depends on how popular this show is because I am pretty certain <laughs> that in the next year or two, it will be an absolute bloodbath for these streaming services. There was an open letter from one of the executives at Peacock talking about how Universal had this deal with Netflix and was making billions of dollars selling off their content to Netflix. And now they are losing billions of dollars trying to start a streaming service and migrating over their most popular shows to Peacock and nobody is watching them basically. It's almost certain that they will be reselling their content. They already sell it to Amazon Prime, by the way. All these things that were exclusively available on Peacock are now streaming on Amazon Prime as well, which of course makes Peacock much less valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all of Peacock goes the way of the dodo within the next year or two. All that is to say, however, that Poker Face, for example, was a massive, massive hit for them. And there mm-hmm. will definitely be another season, even if they sell it to Netflix. So anyway, long story short is, if this thing is popular, <laughs> they'll make another season, even if they have to sell it to somebody else and probably make more money off of it by selling it off right. to somebody. My guess is that it's not going to catch fire like that, I don't think.
1: Right. Well, I do think Kaylee Cuoco, Chris
0: Messina, both very likable. Oh, yeah, I absolutely. mean, what
1: it comes down to me here is like it was fun to watch. It's like the equivalent of a beach read.
0: I would say the same thing. I don't recommend this for someone who wasn't interested in seeing this in the first place, not being like, you guys have to seek this out. But if you right. are intrigued by this, you know I'm somebody who is totally on the fence about it. I think it's very smart to put it out as a binge. You will definitely binge this thing. There's no reason not to. And like you said, as a beach read, you have a couple hours to kill. You can watch almost the entirety of this thing in two hours, and you know whatever's left over, put it on before you go to sleep that night, and you're done. Right. So, exactly. This was going week to week. Uh, you know, I would not have, <laughs> <laughs> which is usually my metric here for recommending something. It's a Netflix disease, by the way. There's a lot of Netflix stuff that I watch because. I, you know, watch the first four or five episodes, and then I want to quit it. And I'm like, oh, there's only two or three left. <laughs> so I got to watch it now. But I feel like, you know, if I was watching it like an HBO model of week to week, I'm like, I would not watch this thing. week That's fair. Anything else you've been watching recently? I
1: have mainly been focusing on platonic and based on a true story, but I am very excited to watch the final season of Never Have I Ever, which ah, we just yes. came out mm-hmm. a couple of days ago. So that's next up on my agenda.
0: All right. So next week, I don't have anything to talk about <laughs> next week. It <You> know <laughs> turns you could, out. You, you know you could do if you'd like. In two weeks, The Bear season two is coming out. Uh-huh. It'll be available as a binge. And by the way, The Bear as well is a show that like most of the episodes are like 20, 25 minutes long uh, on Hulu, by the way. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to check out season one of The Bear Next week. And then uh, we can discuss season two when it comes out in two weeks. Does that make sense?
1: Well, we'll see because I do have to watch Never Have I Ever. So I can't overcommit myself.
0: <laughs> I would have a conversation with you about that show, but I, you know, I've never, I mean, I can't binge. <laughs> I can't binge the whole thing now. It's too, I just it's too late. It's too late for that. <laughs> you know, even if it's like seven or eight episodes, I can do it. But like there's like 30 episodes. I'm like, I can't. can't do it. Too late. Too late. <laughs> Ship is sailed. That'll be on my catch-up list when I have uh, downtime. Maybe on vacation, I'll watch it.
1: It's just so good. It's so good.
0: I've heard. It's excellent. And this uh, season's gotten really good reviews so far. So, All right. Thank you again, Sona.
1: Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Okay, bye.